Hey everyone, welcome to the Android Central Podcast. It is episode number 311 for Tuesday, October 18th, 2016. So this is a little bit of an, an unusual timing for the podcast. Um, basically due, due to events, we have to run a little bit early this week, but there's a good reason for that. And that reason is we are going to talk about, obviously... The Samsung Galaxy Note 7. Can you believe? Can you believe, you guys? It's been recalled a third time. A third time. No, that's that's a lie. We're, we're here to talk about the pixels, aren't we? So uh, I've got I've, I've got Daniel Vader with me in Canada. How are you doing? You've got you've been using the the regular small pixel, right? I have, and I well, no spoilers. Well, no spoilers. We'll dig into that a little bit later. We have Andrew Martinick with the Pixel XL in Seattle. Yes, that is that is correct. We'll we'll spoil everything here shortly. Well, well we yeah, we're not not too much in in the way of spoilers, but uh, yeah, and I'm I'm Alex Dopey. I'm here in the UK at least for the moment for the next few hours. Um, we're recording this a little bit ahead of time, and I also have uh, the Pixel XL in in quite black, which is uh, very very nice. So let's just just dive into it. I mean, there's a lot to talk about these phones. It's Google's first proper hardware venture as a phone manufacturer. And so a lot of the, the software is important as well, but a lot of the focus is going to go on the hardware. And of course, HTC is the actual, um, whether you want to call them the, the ODM, the manufacturer or the assembler of this device. They actually physically make it. It comes out of their factories. But of course, it's Google's design. And um, Daniel, you've been using sort of the base, the baseline Pixel model, which is uh, it, almost the main phone, I, I think. It's. Uh, I don't think it's. It's unreasonable to call it that. Um, I don't know. And- is is it? I, I. I get the impression that most people. Maybe it's just my my sphere, but most people in my life have chosen the XL. Yeah, I think. Um, if you look at the reason for the naming, maybe it's it's like they don't want to. Um have a pixel and a pixel mini because mini has all these negative connotations about it. We had, you know, we had right. this conversation with Sony a few years back where they, they had a compact and not a mini and that was a very deliberate decision. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, whichever one you want to talk about, I mean, it's basically the same phone in two sizes and you see obviously the Google influence, a lot of unique um, features about the design, but I think there's also quite a bit of visible HTC DNA in, in, in there, isn't there? Uh, Daniel? Oh Yeah. So I love this size. I haven't used a five-inch phone since the HTC. Well, the, the HTC 10 is 5.2 inches, but it, it's fairly compact. Uh, I didn't really use the Nexus 5X, which is also 5.2 inches. So the the last five-inch phone I think I used in earnest was, yeah, I can't even remember. I, I mean, I, I look at the Honor 8, but that's also 5.2 inches. Anyway, all that to say, I have really enjoyed the uh, the compact nature of the Pixel, and it is so fast. I think that's going to be the theme of this episode. It feels like one of, if not the fastest phone I've ever used, from just flipping through screens to loading apps to taking photos to everything about mm-hmm. it. There's no compromise other than the ones that you mentioned uh, in using was- the smaller version. Uh, I was that- almost about to sorry. I was also about to say that it's it's iPhone fast, but I think it it kind of almost exceeds that in in a lot of ways with touch response and with um, animation speed, which plays a lot into the the perceived fast speed and um, responsiveness of a phone. Is that something you've seen? Yeah, I, I definitely see that. It's un. <laughs> we'll go back to that word. It's unprecedented in the Android space, but this one is not used in a pejorative. I think Google has finally done 
I mean, Jerry wrote an amazing article that got published a few days ago about how this is Google's chance to marry hardware and software in a, in a way that actually makes a difference. We've seen that with the Nexus products before, but there were always things that we could look to and say, no, Google's not, Google doesn't really have ownership over this part of the phone. And in this case, even though HTC's designed it, it clear, it's clear that Google does and did have uh, a, a pretty big say in how every component in the phone works with the software. And, and it just, mm-hmm. it's, it speaks mm-hmm. volumes in the way that you can feel it every time you touch the phone. I think Google maybe would disagree that HTC designed it. I think there's a there's a big difference in in the relationship between the like end manufacturer and Google as compared to Nexus. Did I say design? Sorry, I, I meant yeah, I design. meant uh, manufactured. No, okay, yeah. uh, no. To, to be clear, Google designed this phone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and look, it it does look physically a little. I mean, there like design carryovers from uh, the Nexus Six P a little bit with the glass window around the back. I also think you, you're seeing a few kind of holdovers from uh, the HTC 10 in the way the um, the sort of front glass curves into the uh, uh, the chamfers on the front and the style of those chamfers as well. Um, I mean, sure, it was Google working with HTC and you know that there's a discussion there. When it, No matter what company Google was going to go to, they were going to have this discussion about here's, you know, Google says, here's what we want to do. Manufacturer XYZ says, here are some of our signature things that we know we can do with metal here are some things we know we can do with glass mm-hmm. and like here's our for lack of a better term here's our component list of what we can do for sure and then like let's go from there obviously if they would have gone to a different company that might have different expertise the the phone might have looked differently that's not i mean i don't i just don't like I mean, you can see the similarities for sure, but this is very much a different phone. the The feel is different. The design is different. It doesn't. It doesn't look to me like another phone. Uh, I I think that it's uh, it's unique in its own ways. So we've got to talk about the chin. I think there was a lot of sort of controversy on. Actually, first of all, which color is everyone using? So let's get that out of the way. I I, I think pretty much everyone I've spoken to has black. Is that true? From the re- uh, I'm quite before? black as well. I'm okay. very silver. You're very silver. Oh, I am. So you have a okay. white front then. That'll be good to talk about. Then. I have a white front um, and I'm not happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've taken Russell Hawley's editorial to heart about how buying a white pixel is probably not great for VR. But the um, there is a very obvious um, ambient light sensor right on top of the OLED screen that is quite distracting when you look at it on the white pixel. And, mm. you know, that's par for the course. That's not uncommon on a phone like this. But other manufacturers have found a way to hide that ambient sensor behind the actual white part of a phone. The iPhone does that. So I'm not really sure why it's here. And there's, there's also another aspect of that, like um, just visibility of the display outside. I find even with the iPhone... You, uh, because the white front is so reflective, it makes it harder to focus on uh, the, the screen below it. Is how do you find the pixel with that? In terms I mean, of I haven't just... really. It hasn't been that distracting. I've only used it for about twenty four hours, so I can't really say one way or the other that it's going to be long term um, a drawback over the black version. But I typically go with black f- faces on phones because they um, generally blend in better with the uh, with the screen. I mean, that's just you know, kind of the mm-hmm. reality of, of the way that we use devices today. And um, especially AMOLED, right? 
especially AMOLED, and this is an AMOLED display. So I don't think it's going to be a big deal. I, I do have to take something back. I just looked over at my iPhone 7, and there is a, a visible ambient light sensor on top of the uh, headpiece on the front of the phone. It's quite a bit smaller than the one on the Pixel, but it's there. So for what the, for what it's worth. For me, it's the, the black is just so much easier to to deal with on the front. Like you said, it hides the sensors and the cameras and it, yes, like the bezels are there on this, this phone, especially on the top and bottom. That's the, like the chin that Alex is referring to, but it, it didn't even, it doesn't bother me at all. The, the size of the bezels does not bother me. Yeah. I think it's to do with where it's easiest to hit the buttons as well. And if you hold it in your hands, the way your thumb naturally falls is where the buttons are, not necessarily at the very bottom of the phone. So it's like, well, you also have the symmetry of the top and bottom areas being, uh, uh, you know, more balanced if you have the the chin down below, and also it's easier to hit the button. So it make it kind of makes sense to me from a design point. I don't think it's a. It, it looks stranger in renders than it does when you're actually holding it in your hands, and that's a, right. a strange thing to see because you're looking at the same phone, but it's. It, I think it's one of those things. It's one of those things that that's when when all you're looking at is renders or pictures, uh, especially renders, because you don't have perspective on them you know you don't have a hand mm. on them or whatever that's all you think about is wow look at how big the bezels are around there and it it doesn't look as cool as like a design demo but when you put it in your hands you don't think about those bezels at all you just think about the fact that it's uh your fingers aren't touching the side of the screen and when you go to hit the nav buttons they're in the right spot mm-hmm. so We've already talked about how fast this phone is. It's ridiculously fast. The part of the reason for that is the you got the latest Qualcomm chip in there. You also have all this optimization Google has done around touch response, which makes a huge difference. Um, but on the hardware side, the big choice people are going to be making, aside from the which color the thing is, and we I think we've actually um, used at least I haven't used the uh, the blue one yet. So that's that's a, something we haven't experienced yet. But Internal storage, that's the big choice. You go with 32 of the base model or you have to pay a kind of a hefty um, premium. I think it's $100 to get the 128. Um, and there's it's no 64 $120. So, is it really? 100. Okay. Oh, it's, no, it's oh, 100. I'm sorry. You're right. It's 100 premium, 120 on the desi- the Pixel to the Pixel XL. Right. Okay. And that's a lot of money. I mean, the, let's make no mistake that the, the reason Google is doing that is to make more money. It's, uh, it's the same trick that apple uses they give you just enough to get by in the base model so that you'll think "Eh, maybe maybe 32 isn't quite enough if you can't expand it but then you pay that much more for the 128 i think we all have 32s don't we yeah Yeah. i'm gonna check how much i have free but yeah let's see actually let's all do that now because i think i've i've had mine see i'm only i'm only so you get you get 29 points like after it's formatted obviously you get 29.7 for the system and then all of your stuff and i have half exactly half free okay so, so I with taken... the system and my apps and my podcasts and whatever i i have 15 free yeah i have 18 right now i've not taken a whole lot of pictures i don't have any music cached up yet so i'd imagine that would you know be knocked down further a little bit but it's i mean the thing that i noticed coming from samsung phones like gs7 um s6 edge plus is that if google even with two system partitions because that's how they work now for the seamless updates even with that Google is using probably slightly less than Samsung does for for the built-in stuff. So I'm at the point now where between the free photo storage in uh, in Google Photos for Pixel owners and between the fact that, you know, you can kind of move music around pretty easily with most streaming services, I'm probably okay with 32. 
Um, and I may, maybe if I was, if this wasn't a review unit, if I was buying one, I would have been tempted to go for the 128. But I think, like long term, I probably wouldn't be under too much pressure. How do you feel about that, Daniel? Well, I feel a little bit of anxiety about having a 32 gig version only because the last 32 gig phone that I used for any length of time was the Galaxy S7. And mm-hmm. I filled that up really quickly. I don't typically put a micro SD card in my phones because I just don't love the way that the, that it, that Android generally treats micro SD cards like second class citizens. Um, mm-hmm. But unless you're using adoptable storage, but very few phones actually do. So I, I just feel like even though there's that unlimited free high resolution backup offer with Google Photos, I still am going to run out of space. I have my cache of apps that I load every time I have a new phone, and that typically takes up about 8 to 10 gigs. Then there's you know a few big games that I'll delete when I'm done with them. That takes up an extra couple of gigs. And by the time I'm finished, I usually only have around 5 or 6 gigs free. And that's, you know, it's not terrible, but it's not necessarily a huge, um, a, a, a huge, you know, amount that I can rely on if I ever need to, you know, transfer a big file or two. Yeah. I just took a look at my galaxy S seven as well. Cause that's the phone that I've used the most that also has 32 gigs of storage. And I have 11 free on that after, you know, using it regularly for several months. So, you know, that's, that's plenty of cushion for me. I'm not worried about I'm not worried about anything when I've got 10 gigs free on my 32 gig phone. And I'm just not one that download, like I don't download huge games. I don't locally store music unless I know that I'm going on, you know, an international, uh, you know, a long international flight or something. And I don't, I don't load up, you know, if I'm going to load up on movies or TV or anything, that's going to be on my tablet. So I, when I bought, I bought my pixel from project Fi. I didn't even, think about the 128 i just instantly went 32 for that reason because i haven't i haven't even found the need to use an sd card on my on my phones that do offer it Mm -hmm. i think if you're grading from something so like a an access six or whatever you're you're gonna know how much you've used and how over the course of uh, you know how, how much what kind of a user you are it's uh you know even if you're coming from an iphone even though storage is used differently it's uh you have a pretty good idea and you know if if uh if storage anxiety is a thing then you're already spending a ton of money on, a, on getting a pixel this is an expensive sure. phone um maybe you just say to hell with it and drop the extra hundred and, and get a 128 but it is it is kind of an interesting decision that we're having and uh, to make and i think if if google had gone with maybe the kindest choice to consumers and and gone with 64 um which you know, they could well have done it's a it's a, a tiny amount of their margin but then they wouldn't be pushing more people towards the 128 yep so, uh, hardware is all well and good. Um, I, I think we've, I mean, we've all seen what this thing looks like. It's that there are obvious design influences there from the HTC side. There are a few from from previous Nexus phones, but it's, uh, I, I think the iPhone similarities is pretty much overplayed. Um, if you hold this in your hand, it really doesn't look or feel like an iPhone. It's it's not no. as slippery. It's more angular. Everything it's is in way a different easier place. to hold than an iPhone. It's yeah. um, the the sides. The most interesting part about the sides is, I mean, sure, if you just look at the back and you see that kind of rounded, the the flat back, and then it rounds off. Sure, I guess you you know it looks like a lot of other phones that have flat uh, aluminum backs. But 
when it has kind of this double beveled thing on the side where it goes from rounded to flat and then from flat to another angular thing up to the front, it gives you plenty to hold on to. And I haven't, I haven't felt it to be slippery at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. I have, so I think that, I mean, I, I have no reason to think that this looks like an iPhone I've used it. I mean, I have, I, I, I think in the renders you can maybe see a little bit of a similarity, but, in real life, as Andrew pointed out, the the actual the bevel itself and the and the where like where the angle is on the side of the phone makes it seem much more like an HTC 10 than an iPhone, and it's much yeah, yeah. Cl- it's very clear when you hold it that this is an an HTC built phone just by a number like there's a number of very subtle things, but if you've used an HTC phone going even back to like the one the one M seven. This has a lot of that DNA in it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. And I was, I was just holding my Pixel XL in, in my hand and thinking that down below in that chin area, in, in another a universe somewhere, maybe there would be an HTC logo uh, yeah. down below that that nav bar. So yeah, um, very nice design. I think it, that obviously there's only a certain amount you can do with a metal box with a screen on the front but yeah i think that that argument is overplayed so what do you guys think about the the last big hardware external hardware thing is the tapering of the design where it's thicker on the top and then it slowly tapers down to being thinner on the bottom uh i want to know like it's it's notable for me on the pixel xl but when i used the pixel the smaller one at the event i really didn't notice it on the smaller one i think even on the xl it is incredibly subtle like i almost holding it in front of me right now almost can't tell it's more noticeable if you hold it um horizontal and not vertical but i think it you can kind of see i i wouldn't be surprised if someone bought this phone and over the course of two years of using it never noticed that but it is an interesting design decision when you look at the placement of the camera and the fact that maybe you need a bit more thickness at the top and maybe you don't need quite so much down below and I don't think it was supposed to be something that was meant to be noticed as like, wow, look at that design feature. It was supposed to be, well, you hold your phone mostly in the bottom half and we need a little more room in the top half. So let's even those out by making it thinner down there because this isn't a particularly thin phone. It's like uh, eight, eight and a half millimeters or something, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, other phones are closer to seven. And, but I don't, I don't have a problem with that. It's just, uh, it's an interesting design decision that I think it works, uh, for, for making it easier to hold and being thinner at the bottom. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, it's the kind bo- of, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, like the, uh, the glass portion at the top, it's just something that gives it a unique flair in a, in a world where we're dealing with so many of these interchangeable, um, metal and glass smartphones these days. Yeah, and I think Google probably took the criticism of other companies' camera bumps to heart when designing this phone and was aware that, you know, the only way to prevent there being a camera bump is to either have a smaller sensor and lens combo or taper the phone towards the bottom. And they made the right decision, I think. This is a very, especially, I haven't seen the big one for any length of time, but on the smaller Pixel, the distinction is very hard to tell. I mean, you have to really look. And the only way that you would be able to tell is if it was weighted incorrectly, if it was heavier towards the top as well. But it's not. It's weighted perfectly. It's balanced. And honestly, from without you pointing it out to somebody, I don't think they'll notice. 
Absolutely. So you mentioned the camera there. That's another huge, huge thing for this phone. Um, we're going from a, a family of Nexus devices that where the camera, uh, the 6P kind of got it right, but there were there were like weird issues there as well. But the like historically considered as a as a product group, Nexus phones have never had great cameras. Um, and we had the usual spiel that we get with every new phone that okay, here's why it's the best camera ever, and here's our DXO Mark score and 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 stuff. This, I think. Mostly lives up to the hype. What do you think, uh, Andrew? I think um, that absolutely does. I mean, I don't, I don't care about a DXO mark score, and you can show me as many like fancy photos that some professional photographer took, and we saw a lot of them uh, at the announcement. And a couple days after the announcement, they, they some of the Nexus camera people or jeez nexus pixel camera people probably the same people were uh showing off some different photos and that that's cool and all but the big thing for me is the ridiculous speed of the camera that is exactly on par with taking photos with samsung phones or any you know modern late model iphone it's you open the you know open the camera it opens quickly it's ready to go it's not sluggish you press and hold the shutter key and can take 30 or 40 photos in quick succession, all in HDR plus. And the no Nexus has done that before. And now the pixel can, I mean, that's the biggest thing for me. And I think that Alex and I talked about the, as far as photo quality, it's not dramatically ahead of the, what the six P could do. But for me taking photos all yesterday and today, uh, every photo has been really, really good. Every photo has been the best photo I've taken with the 6P, but this is every single photo with the Pixel. And that's a huge distinction for me. And also, like, instant, not with the lag that you get with the 6P. And we were not talking to, yeah, we were talking to Jerry about this before the podcast. The reason is because uh, even though on paper you might think this is literally the same uh, sensor as in the 6P, it's actually a new revision of it that supports a bunch of extra stuff. Uh, like phase detect autofocus and um, uh, on sensor HDR. And that means that you're handling things differently in terms of the way HDR works, which means everything is so much faster. Also means there's uh, less like computational overhead when you're doing HDR shots, which in turn means you get better battery life. Um, it's just a, a better implementation of what Google was doing on the 6P last year, um, where you get shots that are maybe only 10% better than you get with a 6P, but they're excellent every time and they are lightning fast. So what is what is your impression, Ben? The camera is is identical, of course, in the uh, the smaller Pixel, uh, Daniel. But um, your impression, sort of broadly in line with with that. Definitely, there's no question that this stands up to the Galaxy S7. I think it'll be very interesting to see in what circumstances the S7 with its optical image stabilization surpasses it. We haven't done a lot of, or I personally haven't done a lot of low light testing on the Pixel yet, but that's really the area where, okay, so slightly smaller pixels, 1.4 micron on the um, Galaxy S7 versus 1.55 on the Pixel, but optical image stabilization on the uh, on the S7 may make it a little bit better in low light Um but whether or not it makes a as dramatic a difference as, say, the Galaxy S6 versus the Nexus 6P did um, remains to be seen. I mean, the fact that the, 6, the, the Galaxy S6 was so much better than the Nexus 6P when it had been available for six months was you know, quite an indictment on the 
on the Nexus, right? It took great photos, but there were just so many areas where the camera lagged behind the comp- uh, the competition. So uh, I yeah, love li- literally lagged behind the competition. It wasn't so much a case <laughs> of quality; it was just the speed of the thing, and it was frustrating to use because of it. And it would sometimes, when you had a few photos processing the background, it would actually throttle you, and you couldn't take pictures anymore, which and is that's super the annoying. Big thing for me is you can tell that the processor is just it's just doing everything it can every single time you take photos because with the new with the new Google camera and Google Photos integration like i said when you press and hold that shutter key and it does the burst shot it will automatically create gifs for you automatically create collages and it will start doing the best photo selection it'll start doing all of this processing before you've even tapped into the gallery to see the photos that you just took and that's extremely so it's important because it's not uploading it to google photos and doing it later it's doing it right in the camera while you're taking all the photos and that's only possible like alex was saying because the sensor is capable of doing more and it's not all happening in the software just to process a photo i mean before even hdr yes still takes a little bit of processing time lens blur still takes a little bit of processing time after the fact after you've already captured but it's way faster than the 6P even in those cases. And it's doing all of this additional processing to make GIFs and collages and things like that. So that's where the real difference of of this phone comes in and the fact that you have all this Google software backing up the experience. It's almost kind of like a... A step in the direction of what Apple's doing with with processing photos on the device in the iPhone in the past year. Um, I mean, obviously there are a lot of iPhone comparisons that can be drawn with this with this phone, but um, it's a case of okay, this is the first proper Google phone hardware. But also, what really sets it apart from everything else out there that looks similar is the software, um, and that of course is is photos, is assistant, is all this stuff that we're going to break into right now. So, uh, I mean, what what would you say is the the most important thing that Google is bringing to this phone, Daniel? It, there's a lot of new stuff, right? Well, I, I don't know if there is one thing. Um, you know, if you look at Android from a top-down perspective, there's maybe only 5% difference between the software experience on this and the 6P or even like a OnePlus 3. I mean, I'm not I'm not talking in terms of, you know, add-ons. I'm just saying take AOSP, build it, take a bunch of Google services and then kind of tag tack on a bunch of um other features that, you know, make it make it an OEM phone. This doesn't have that many new features. It just has a few. But those features add up to something very significant. On top of what Andrew mentioned earlier, the fact that this phone is so much faster and more fluid consistently than any other I've used. So obviously, Assistant is a big deal. Obviously, 24-7 support is a big deal. Things like the moves gestures, which we'll get to in a second, they're nice. The nightlight feature, that's been seen on the Note 7 and the the V20. But the implementations, I think, are what take them to the next level. They're just that much better they're more they're they're more um intelligently integrated with the OS and everything else just feels like it's the way that Google intended it so i want to talk about circles because this has been kind of the there are very i mean this is mostly still what you would call stock quote unquote stock android right that there isn't some of the colors are a bit different um some things look a bit different the settings app has live support 
Uh, but it's basically the an extension of material design that we've been using for the past couple of years. Where that kind of um, moves away is in the icon setup and the stuff we have going on the new launcher. And you start this phone up for the first time. Pretty much, I think, actually all the, the Google apps that were loaded on my phone um, were circles. Like There was a bizarre exception with Duo where it's like a circle with a bit sticking out. But um, they're all circles, and that's kind of seems like a bit of an arbitrary decision to me. Like it didn't maybe need to be that way. And especially if you look at the way they've done the circles, sometimes you have a white box with the icon in it. Sometimes it crops in, you have a circular cutout. Um, what do you guys think of that? Well, start with Andrew. I... I don't get it in any way. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. And Google's implementation, it, its own implementation of how it does these rounded icons, like you said, doesn't make any sense either. So I, it really doesn't, um, this just isn't the way that they need to unify things because they're not, because they're not they're unifying not, it. It's, they're not I mean, unifying yeah. it. So the way that Huawei does it or, of various other manufacturers have done it is they either just put every every icon through a max size cookie cutter that's a circle or a squircle and so they make every icon they'll cut off the edges or they'll put a white or whatever color circular background behind it so that every icon's the same size google doesn't do that on top of the fact that there's already varying icon sizes i mean i'm just looking in my app drawer now between you know dropbox is just an ungainly gigantic icon and then you know most icons go with the square with rounded corners and then you have you know android tv is gigantic android wear is gigantic and then calendar looks weird because it's the old calendar icon just shrunk down about 30 percent, and then with a white circle around it so it looks extra hodgepodgey and it, it, strikes it just doesn't, me, it strikes me as different for the sake of different. And, and Google's not going to tell all, all they're doing is they're putting in support in 7.1 and in the doc, developer documentation for developers to make circular icons, the circular icons for Google apps and things like that are a pixel thing. And this is a pixel launcher thing. Uh, right now and it it just it just stands out weirdly it doesn't make any sense to me it's if google wants to have very strict guidelines about what third-party app icons look like in terms of max size and only looking a certain way fine do it this is not how you do that because this looks horrible it looks fine in press renders from google where it's only google's apps being shown and they're all the exact same circumference or diameter whatever measurement you want to use but they don't look good when they sit right next to all of these other apps from various i mean i don't have obscure apps i have big name brand apps where you know the developers care about what their icon looks like but when they don't have the guidance or requirement to be a certain size it just it looks dumb, and I I don't I don't get this at all. I think it's, it's also the, a case the one thing in the software I I don't care for. It's also a case I think that Google is if it is eventually moving in this circular direct direction with app icons, it is steering a very big ship, and maybe it doesn't want to just go into um, seven point zero earlier in the year and say right we're moving towards this new um, dynamic for for app icons because. You know, if you suddenly force that on developers with a few months' notice, then you're going to have this weird hodgepodge for for a, sh- a short time while that comes together. 
maybe you start off and do it gently with uh, with the Pixel phones, and then maybe you, you start to influence other manufacturers. Maybe the GS8 moves in that direction as well. We've already seen Samsung move to like a Squircle-style um, app layout, so maybe that's something that becomes more prominent next time. Um, I don't know. I mean, at least we can agree on, I think, between all three of us, so, somewhat, uh, something where Google has really knocked it out of the park is with all these new live wallpapers. Um, there are some amazing ones that that come preloaded. Um, some of them are just the the kind of selection of um, like Earthview wallpapers and um, like cityscapes and landscapes and stuff like that. But there are also a bunch of really really cool live wallpapers. Um, maybe Daniel can can dig into that a little bit more while while I'm scrolling through these here. Yeah, I mean, right now I have um, a wallpaper that's essentially a live gradient. Uh, it's called Aurora Time Lapse. And what it does is it takes data. And this is something that Google is probably the best in the world at is using data and, and m- turning it into uh, something visual because it has this enormous knowledge graph and it has all of these uh, outlets like the live wallpaper, like icons and, and all this stuff to, to to show it on. But, you know, when you get the pixel you can you can go into the wallpaper selector and there's a couple of different kinds of uh, categories there's live earth which we saw and heard about in the pixel launcher leaks a few weeks ago but we didn't actually get a, a big taste of it then there's live data which is really interesting and a lot of them are these abstract uh, circles or uh, rectangles squares that move around your your um, your screen your background and adjust depending on the time of day, depending on the weather, depending on any other data point that Google wants to emphasize. And what I'm really excited about is if the company opens up an API and does this properly, uh, it'll allow people to tap into this new way of showing data without it being, uh, without it being, I, I think, garish the way that original live wallpapers were and without taxing the system in many ways, the way that old life papers were. So this is a really, uh, it's the best implementation of an old idea that I think I've seen in a long time. And I think that it's just a cool, I mean, even if you don't go for one of those that dynamically changes throughout the day, they just have great collections of daily switching wallpapers for architecture or cityscapes or specific google earth satellite imagery where every day they'll just replenish it and when you go back into the wallpaper selector it highlights your current wallpaper at the top and you have a show more option and if it's i think they pull from 500 px and you could tap there and it'll show you the full resolution image and you can download it and do all that or if it's a google earth image you tap on it and it takes you into google maps in satellite view to the place that's shown on your wallpaper. And so it's just a cool little thing that, okay, yes, you could have downloaded a, a an app that loads a new wallpaper from 500px or tons that'll do that. This is just built in. And, you know, most people were not going and finding the best, you know, imagery or the best apps that offered that. And now it's just something that's built in and it's really nice and you could just enable it and off you go. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you the. My favorite by far has to be the Live Earth wallpapers. So we have we have a few that are built in here from Google Earth. And when you yeah. first load them, it, it almost looks like it's just a still image that scrolls through. But if you look a little closer, it's actually 3D um, imagery of the grounds that is accurately textured and moves when you rotate 
through home screen. It's actually really cool. And um, and when you first unlock as well. Yeah, when you first unlock and when you, I think when you switch back from apps. There's also a really cool one down at the bottom, which is actually of the whole Earth. And it centers in on your current location. So uh, it's really neat. And it also accurately rotates uh, through day and night cycles with, with live clouds as well. So if you're someone who travels a lot, like... Uh, like so many of us are, and like I will be next week, then you'll you'll land somewhere, you'll uh, t- turn your phone on or, or cook up to data or whatever, and you'll see exactly where you are, exactly where the, the what proportion of the Earth is uh, is lit up, and and um, it's just a, a really nice way of of taking advantage of something that's been part of Android for a long time, but almost the hardware hasn't been there to to power this without it being a massive battery drain, or just the the thought hasn't been there. Um, for anyone to take Android Live wallpapers seriously, and it's nice to see Google's doing that. So it, it's it's a very very much a cosmetic feature, but it's it's something that it's a sort of attention to detail that we really haven't seen in Nexus phones in the past. This week's episode of the Android Central podcast is brought to you by Harry's. We've mentioned Harry's before, and we're super thankful that they keep coming back week after week. Harry's makes great razors for less. Specifically, they charge $2 per blade compared to the $4 or more you'll pay for those other brands at the drugstore. Harry's five-blade razors are awesome, and they include a softer flex hinge for a more comfortable glide, a trimmer blade for those hard-to-reach places, a lubricating strip, and a textured handle for when it gets wet. I've been using Harry's and I love it. It's really nice to finally have soft skin after a shave. And there's no irritation. Five blades, yeah, they actually work. Harry's was founded by two friends who wanted to offer a great shave at a fair price. They even went to Germany and bought the factory that they had hired to make the blades because they liked them so much. That's why Harry's can produce high-quality razors themselves and sell them online for half the price of the drugstore brands. Quality is always 100% guaranteed, and if you don't love your shave, Harry's will refund you. So how do you get started? How do you try Harry's? Well, if you want to and you are listening to this podcast, you can get a great deal. All you have to do is go to harrys.com and you can get a starter set for just $15. That includes three precision-engineered five-blade cartridges, moisturizing shave cream, a weighted razor handle of your choice, and a travel cover, all for $15. And for limited time only, there's another special offer for fans of the show. But what do you do to get that? Well, all you go do is you go to harrys.com, and at checkout, you enter the code AC. That's harrys.com, and enter the code AC at checkout to redeem your deal. Okay, back to the show. So, I mean, the the other part of it is Google Assistant is huge. So this is a, a big functional thing, and I haven't really had the chance to use it that much just yet, so I'll... Uh, I'll hand off to uh, to Daniel to talk about it a little bit more, uh, what your experience has been so far with this. Well, you know, Google Assistant is going to be in three places. It's going to be part of the Pixel phones as the replacement for now on tap, where you hold down the, the home button and it accesses. It can both uh, be an 
sort of a Google search with your voice so you can get the weather uh, or, or anything else that you would normally ask a search. You can then also ask what uh, to give more context about what's on your screen, which is very similar to now on tap. Um, but Google Assistant is also going to be in Allo, which is pre-installed on the phone, and it's going to be integrated into Google Home. So right now, we're not seeing the full gamut of what Assistant as a product and a platform is going to look like in a few months. But from what I can tell right now, it's incredibly powerful. It does have some limitations, but what I find is it's very fast. It actually, it figures out um, and, and it ca- calculates what you're trying to say and gives you something meaningful in usually under a second, which is significantly faster than now on tap ever did. But it also gives you better context. It allows you to ask it uh, follow-up questions semantically so you don't have to say the whole question again. You can just give it, uh, you can have a sort of a conversation with it. Overall, it's got a lot of potential. There's a lot of settings that you can change that allow it to be customizable. So I don't know if it's going to be that well used at the beginning. But Andrew, do you have a, a similar sense to to me as a whether it's going to be a hit? I'm I'm not as bullish on it uh, because I just my big issue. I, I do appreciate assistant far more than google now on tap and i think that they realized how bad now on tap was and the important distinction for me when it comes to replicating the now on tap functionality of reading your screen is that it doesn't ask you for additional interaction you don't need to launch now on tap let it scan the screen maybe select something specific this just you launch Google Assistant whenever you're reading an article or you're in an app or whatever, and you just swipe up and it will just give you basically just a Google search with all of uh, searching the keywords that it sees on the screen, which is mostly what we're looking for anyway. And of course, Google search results are so good that you're going to get you know, those, those dynamic cards that will show, you know, take you directly to Wikipedia, directly to Google search to YouTube or whatever. Um, and so that I that portion is really good. And I was just the playing ass- around with it while uh, while you were talking, Andrew. And actually, there's there's kind of like a, a bit of trickery going on. I'm I'm thinking with the way this works because you don't actually when you first launch a system by long pressing the home key, you've got to wonder if it's actually caching some of the stuff the stuff on screen in the background and, and doing a bit of preparation for maybe for you to swipe up. So oh, I'm a, sure. It, yeah, yeah, it is. Because it'll start loading that underneath no matter what, even if you do tell it something else. So for me, that, that portion works really well. I think that the voice assistant portion, it's yes, you can yell the wake up phrase to your phone or you can press and hold the home button. That's cool. That's easy to access. Then you have to only interact with it with your voice. Um, the first query, no matter what, is going to have to be with your voice. Now, you can say, you know, what's the weather like or what's on my schedule next or how do I get here or ask it, you know, just how old Tom Cruise is. But that's that's the issue for me right now is that there's this separation between Google Assistant, which is voice only. And when you say, okay, that word, and it starts up, 
That's separate from if you're on your home screen and you tap the little Google tab at the top and you can just type in a Google search and could very easily get the exact same information in the same card interface separately. So the the semantic stuff where it has this conversation where you can say, show me flights to San Francisco, and then it shows you and then you say, what's the weather like next weekend? Uh, what's the weather like there next weekend? And it knows. And then you can say give me directions to there or something and it continues on that conversation. That's cool. But that's all controlled by voice. And the minute that you hit the home button to go back to your home screen and you launch it back again, it's a brand new conversation. It's like Google assistant has selective amnesia where it knows, it still knows the base stuff, right? It knows what your address is. It knows your name. It knows where you live. It knows where you are currently and it knows your rough search history. But when I close Google Assistant and open it back up, it doesn't know what we were just talking about 15 seconds ago. And that's that's a little different than the story that they painted at the launch where they said it's a pers- you know, it's a personal assistant, it's your own personal Google. It's like, well, I would expect my personal assistant to remember what we just talked about 15 seconds ago. It's also different yeah. to Allo because the assistant integrated into Allo maintains your position yeah. in that conversation. I mean, my, yeah, my- it's like uh, it, it kind of isn't this complete picture yet. And we, you have assistant in home, which is a sep- kind of a separate thing. You have search in Google, which isn't quite the assistant, but is similar. And you can interact with it in similar ways. You have the voice assistant, you have the assistant in Allo. Uh, and I think because we are at this ver- very much a version 1.0 state with this, where it it's just kind of, Google is evolving from a search engine to to an AI, basically, like Sundar Pichai was was saying a few weeks ago, uh, and that transformation, you know, in, in these very first products, isn't going to be anywhere near complete. It's going to take some time. And I mean, for me, like, I okay, it's it is useful, and I do like it, and I will probably use voice actions with Google Assistant more than I ever used it with Google Now or on previous phones. But does that mean it's going to be baked into my daily use i mean it just hasn't it hasn't struck me as that and i just there are some of these hang-ups like that that just get in the way of me being all in on it and sure if you if you're on if you're on the rails of a conversation with it that you know works that's fine and it doesn't require the extreme precision that you need with siri to get the exact response that you want you can fudge the words a little bit and the voice uh, recognition is great, but it does still fumble a lot. And it, mm-hmm. and it, like I said, and it can forget where you're at. And as soon as that happens, people are just going to drop it. And that's, that's the battle that Google's facing. And it, an, a, an assistant that's only 95% of the way there might as well be 0% of the way there for them. So I think I cut Daniel off before. <laughs> what are you going to say? No, I, I find it interesting that, you know, a lot of the concerns around Allo, uh, the, around Assistant and how much information it has and is, is largely based on the privacy concerns we had around something that's constantly caching little bits of information about you and learning, uh, you know, based on what you do on the phone. But what's, what's really, a concern to me is that if, and we've talked about this before, but if Google keeps assistant, a 
pixel only feature in in the current in its current incarnation as a replacement for now on tap what happens to its development you know we know that now on tap wasn't a very popular feature but it still benefited from the millions of people who had it built into the uh the the home button on many android phones you know if if pixel only gets you know, four to five million sales in, in, sold in this year, um, you know, how does it affect the development of Assistant as a platform? Or is, it, is this just the client-facing version of something that Google is essentially iterating constantly on behind the scenes and rolling out to, the, uh, to Allo and, and Pixel and, and Home in, in its various, you know, f- formats? I think it's probably a bit of both. And we talk about the development of now on tap or screen search or whatever it's called now, um, as opposed to um, the assistant. And again, the future of assistant is very much a no. We know we know it's coming to Google Home. We know it's it's uh, it's in the phone. We know it's you know if Google comes out with a watch next year, chances are it'll be in the watch as well. Um, but we don't really know on on the phone or tablet side what is what what it's going to be in besides Google made products. Maybe Google will get with another manufacturer, and you'd have perhaps I don't know pick a name out of the hat, an HTC 11 or something with it built in. Uh, and then you have this this two-tier system where some Android phones have it and some don't. I think whatever happens with that, um, you know, uh, the screen search feature of Assistant is now on tap and the, the mechanics of the way that works has to be the same whether you're using a Pixel or whether you're using a, a Nexus or anything that currently has screen search. I don't think, you know, it, it probably won't have the speed that Assistant has. It probably won't... You know, it certainly won't have the interactivity that Assistant has, but it'll be basically the same uh, algorithms running to to turn what's on your screen into helpful cards that you can interact with. So I'm probably not too worried there. But yeah, we we are seeing this sort of dis- disparate parts of it that aren't quite connecting together yet, and we are still in the very early days of this. And maybe it's going to take a year or so for the a clearer picture of this to come together. Yeah, but I I, I just I don't want Google Assistant to just go away, obviously. I want Google to continue to work on it. So like Daniel said, whatever it takes in terms of having more manufacturers on it or integrating it deeply in other Android phones, you know, to make sure that it's going to continue to be developed, that's a good thing because you can tell that having it built right in to the home button is the way to go. And the voice stuff is pretty good. And the things that it's capable of are, are pretty good. But it's clearly not the a full realization of what they want to do right now. No, I mean it's clear that this is that the assistant found today on the Pixel is a thin client, and that the real calculations, the real power of assistant is the knowledge graph, and it's the way that Google is constantly indexing billions of data points every you know, every day or second or whatever the statistic is. Um, and it's, it'll only get better with time. My concern is more that if Google is limiting the thin client itself to the pixel, that interaction mm-hmm. method may not improve and may not have as drastic an impact on the Android ecosystem as something like iMessage and iMessage, the improvements made to iOS 10 largely only because there's a billion people using the iPhone. And that scale is what allows that sort of closed-loop platform or, um, you know, closed, uh, you know, pr- 
proprietary platform to really thrive. It's when you have a billion people using the same product. So it may take a couple of years for there to be 20 to 30 million pixels out there that Google can finally say and point to, this is a distinction that we have from the rest of the Android ecosystem. But until then, I'm worried that it's going to kind of flounder in its infancy. So on the one hand, you do have, yeah, you need you need data points, you need people using it to make it work and to make it grow. But at the same time, Google's also using Assistant as a main like temple feature of this new phone, as a way to sell phones. And if suddenly that uh, differentiating feature goes away because it's on every Samsung phone or every LG phone, then that works against Google's main ambition with this product, which is to sell phones. Right. I mean, the, the, the one parallel that I can see is, you know, going again with the iPhone, going back to the 4S where Siri was terrible. I mean, Siri's mostly still terrible, let's be honest, but it's way less terrible than it was back in 2011 when it debuted on the 4S. And that's because Apple had zero data points for how this worked in the real world. And there were only a few people using it. Now there are billions of devices out there from, you know, iPhone to iPad to Mac to everything that have Siri. And that's why it's become a better product. Google now is basically Google search. You know, it's, it's Google search plus context. So it's always been very helpful because it has the power of Google's knowledge graph plus your own personal data that you've given it access to Google will always have that advantage over the iPhone and Siri because Siri's all about keeping everything local. So even today, Google Assistant is probably more powerful than Siri will ever be uh, in its current incarnation. But that's the only thing, is that if if Google actually wants this to be a 10-pole feature, it may not be until 2018 when there are several generations of pixels out there with millions of people using the feature every day. I mean, maybe I'm overthinking it, but that's just how I I see there being a parallel between Apple of 2011 and Google of 2016 in some ways. Yeah, I I agree, and I think it's gonna. It, we're focusing a lot on just phones here, but if Google is serious about hardware in in a big way, that goes far beyond phones. You've already had rumors of tablets and laptops next year. There's probably going to be a watch as well. These are all data points that Google can use, and. Um, maybe it doesn't matter if your phone doesn't have assistant, if you have Google Home or a Chromebook or an, an Andromeda device, eventually, whenever we get those, um, oh, because geez. Google's going to be, <laughs> I know I have to fit in somewhere, but um, yeah, Google's going to be collecting all this stuff from from other other points as well. So maybe you maybe that's the gateway drug for assistant. Maybe you get a Google Home, maybe you get a Chromebook, and then eventually you want that in your phone or in your watch at the same time. It is a long-term play, I think, and this this whole hardware thing is a long-term play. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, yes, I get that it's a long-term play and that's why I don't, I don't want to put too much weight behind Google assistant right now in a, in either direction, because for me, even if I was using it every day, it still wouldn't be the main point of interaction with the phone. Of course, I have mm-hmm. the rest of the interface that is really, really great. And uh, I know that it's not that far removed from Android 7.0 on the Nexus 6P, but it is just so much faster and so much smoother and everything, you know, is equally simple to, you know, the stock Android experience before, but they just, they hit it out of the park with the rest of the software too. And I, I just don't want the discussion about 
uh, Google Assistant being good or bad to, you know, torpedo all the other good software mm-hmm. work that Google did here. Yeah, so we kind of touched on the 6P a little bit there. Um, that you know, kind of no secret, 6P's been having a few issues on on the the 7.0 update. A lot of people having bad battery life. Um, for for me, this phone is, I think, leaps and bounds ahead of the 6P in a lot of really important ways. The 6P it's is not, like not even close. Yeah, it, it's which is funny. And a lot of people have been having kind of like abandonment issues that Google has moved on in in such a, a very, very clear-cut way, not just from the Nexus brand, but from the 6P. And there's a, you can clearly see there's a lot of stuff in, in the pixels that it is probably never coming to the 6P, almost certainly. Um, where do you guys stand on maybe someone who, who bought a 6P last year? It, it, it's, it's obviously a worthwhile upgrade, but is it worth dropping full retail on? Uh, what are your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, I mean, Daniel? it's it's also one hundred and fifty dollars more. You know, the when the two hundred and fifty dollars more. Well, no, the six P launched at four ninety nine, didn't it? And the XL is seven sixty nine. Sorry, yeah, you're right. I'm thinking the if you're, I don't class the five X and the small pixel in the same category. Oh, I mean, no. they're just oh, not. Neither do, neither do I, but I think that anybody that bought the 6P last year probably appreciates a bigger phone. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, if, but only only if you're looking at it from a size filter. I'm more looking at it from a capabilities and power filter. And if, if you're sure. looking at it from that way, the entry level to the Pixel is only 150 more, which is still a significant amount. And I think it's... It's some, you know, there's something to be said that this is not necessarily a successor to the Nexus 6P. It's not being marketed as such. It's not really designed as such. And the fact that Google, I, uh, I don't know, I, it kind of is. I mean, it's this year's Google Google phone. Okay, it's the first quote unquote Google phone, but the six, the Nexus 6P was very much Google's flagship of last year. The, let's not make any bones about that. Right, but but they're very clearly different product lines. Sure, but we're going back to that conversation we had at the beginning about how Google isn't really distinguishing between the smaller and larger de- uh, versions of this phone. For all intents and purposes, where possible, they are identical. So you know the only major difference is screen resolution, screen size, and battery, and those come with just physical size. You know they could have put a 1080p display on the on the Pixel XL, but why would they? So when you look at it from that perspective, I I don't see the Pixel XL necessarily being a successor in in, in you know some ways it is, but it's 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 a spiritual successor more than it is an actual successor to the six P. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking at it from availability. You know the this is going to be pushed really really hard by Verizon. This is. This is a tentpole phone. I mean, you go to Verizon.com and it's front and center. I don't think I've ever seen a Nexus, you know, since the the Galaxy Nexus, where Verizon really put money and time behind selling it. And um, Verizon didn't put a whole lot of money. I mean, the Galaxy no, Nexus got kind of really buried. Care. Yeah, yeah, they they cared more about selling droids that year. But yeah, I, I get it, I get what you mean. There's a lot of you could argue some of that is is because. Um, the, the big Android phone for this year, the Note 7, is is now um, gone away. But um, yeah, obviously there's a lot of money there. There's a lot of uh, incentive for Verizon to push it. And there's obviously a really comprehensive deal between uh, Google and Verizon to make that happen. Um, and like, I get the abandonment thing where you feel like, sure, the 
the Nexus 6P is you know no longer you know at the at the high end or whatever for Google and I think like okay that's that's just how it is man you your yeah. 6P is now a year old and Google's going to care about the Pixel more than the 6P like tough that's just how it's going to be but uh, I don't want to like people shouldn't get caught up in the worry about what it technically means or what Google's thinking about you know, the 6P doesn't matter anymore or whatever. It's like, no, it's just been relegated to being the year old phone rather than the brand new phone. And this happens every single year. It is. The 6P yeah. is still going to get software updates. It's still supported. I mean, Google is explicitly still selling the 6P and 5X through Project Fi because they need less expensive phones to be able to offer to people that want to build family plans on Project Fi. But yeah, the Google... Uh, the Google messaging now is Pixel is their phone and the Pixel is a way better phone than the 6P even when the 6P was launched. I mean, uh, it's not even close. The problem, I think, part of the abandonment thing is that the 6P got like demonstrably worse with the 7.0 update with with battery life. For the first month, it was kind of a mess. Um, I I mean, okay, they, they weren't officially rolling out OTAs for quite a few weeks. But even when that OTA landed, the battery life was not good. Like it took a, a, a significant and noticeable downturn. Uh, and it's like, I think for 6P owners, it's like, okay, Google gave you kind of a lousy experience on 7.0 and now they're, they're superseding your phone. And there's, you know, no guarantee that it's going to be, that the battery life is going to be as good as it was back on Marshmallow. So it's, sure. it's kind of like Google I mean, my- sticking you on a, on, a new version of Android, but with some compromises, and then okay, by the way, here's the new phone. It's what Apple has been accused of doing time and time again. Sure, I mean, I just think that let's just be a little realistic in realizing that the 6P never had fantastic battery life, and it was just average for, especially for a phone that had a thirty, almost thirty five hundred milliamp hour battery, and it it never had fantastic battery life. It had pretty good performance but was capable of slowing down and especially in the camera and it's like let's all just remember that the 6p was not a perfect phone but before a 7.0 update or before the pixel was announced and google didn't just start working on the pixel two months ago guys Mm -hmm. they've been working on the pixel for a long time just like they worked on the 6p for a long time so, you know, there's always an overlap in development where they're working on new updates for the 6P at the same time as creating the Pixel. And I don't think that that's a sabotage kind of point. Right. True, true. I'm, I mean, but we talked about... Oh, go ahead. I'm just saying, like, how do we explain away the demonstrable, demonstrably worse performance in the 6P with NuGet? You know, what happened? And why does this keep happening? You know, it seems like it's it's just this strange phenomenon amongst nexus phones that i don't think it's a nexus thing per se i think i think a big part of of the problem is the 6p has an 810 the 810 is just not a good chip the 810 throttles way too hard way too quickly you have to do so much gymnastics with code to get it to to work properly and with juggling things between cores um there wasn't a single phone that was released with an 810 that that had the balance of performance to thermals of the 801 that came the year before and I think it's just a case of it's already a challenging chip to work with. So to get it running smoothly on M was, okay, fair enough. 
But then you have that challenge all over again when you take it to a new version of Android and you have all this under the hood stuff to, to work with. So I think it's a large part of it will just be the fact that that year was kind of a dud year for, for Android uh, CPUs. Uh, unfortunate, I, I think it's it's largely a, a one-off thing and it's just, well, well, we'll move on from here. Well, yeah, I, 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 I mean, it's just interesting that the 808 seems to have improved on NuGet and the 810 seems to have basically fallen on its face. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's kind of sad, but what can you do? I mean, we're talking battery life here. Let's let's kind of dive into that with the pixels because uh, a few, quite a few people were concerned when when spec started to leak out with a smaller pixel. You got a twenty seven seventy battery, a million power battery. That's tight. It's it's tiny. Um, but yeah, I mean, Daniel, have have you been getting on with it? Over the, obviously, you're only a day in, so it's a bit dangerous to talk no, about I battery want your life. Comprehensive, <laughs> full explanation of what two thousand words. Like. Go. Okay, so I've. Uh, it is it is now three sixteen p.m. and I have fifty eight percent battery left, and I've been using it pretty much all day. And I woke up around seven, so uh, it's it's been working for about eight hours. I have two hours screen on time. I know a lot of people care about that stat. So honestly, I've been fairly happy with it. I've I've been downloading. Apps like crazy. I've been setting up my phone today, so I'm actually using it more than I would on a typical day. And so far, so good. I have noticed mm-hmm. that Doze is doing its job, which means that I won't always get notifications immediately if the apps are not uh, if they're not updated for 7.1 or 7.0 rather. So you know, we do know that Doze has to be massaged a little bit by the developer to to you know, work properly with the updated APIs with NuGet, and not everybody has done that. But once these phones and once NuGet has rolled out some more uh, Android phones, I think that developers will will make a, a concerted effort to get along better with Doze. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's still pretty impressive. I think if you if you run that out, you're looking at maybe four and a half hours screen on time in a in a like a full day. So it's not a multiple day phone. You wouldn't expect it to be, but it, I think. I mean, decent numbers for the size of battery. Uh, yeah. How about you, Andrew, on, on the XL? Um, it's actually, mine's edging out a bit better than that. Um, yesterday was uh, really, really tough on the battery because I was out of the house all day and doing a ton of this camera stuff and a ton of Google Assistant stuff all over LTE. And, of course, max brightness, screen on the whole time. And um, I... I think I left the house to go do that at um, like 65, 70% battery. And like nine hours later with, you know, f- I think over four hours of the screen on, it was, you know, hitting battery saver at 5%. So that was me pushing about as hard as I could. And that still could almost get me to a full day uh, if you extrapolate that out. Now today on easier um let's see what it actually says you know it gives you an estimated what uh, an easier use it's not a problem at all it's it's approximating 15 hours left and i'm at 75 percent. cool so that's you know that's your full day right there no problem mm-hmm. even even from 75 percent. so for me it's just uh, i've also noticed the same doze is doing its doing its thing um i don't you know it, it's hard for me to determine 
you know, what level of dose it hits at any given point, but it seems to idle just fine. Uh, I haven't had an issue with it. Obviously, we'll see in, you know, three, four or five more days after I get through the weekend as well. Yeah, yeah. So we are recording this a little bit early. By the time this podcast goes out, we'll have our full review up, which you should absolutely go and read because it'll be very, uh, very in-depth and very insightful and, and all, all other good words. Um, and we'll have a lot more to say about battery life uh, in, in that after a few days mm-hmm. with both of these phones. So I think that is a, a good place to wrap it up there. We've got a good solid hour on, on these Pixel phones. Um Let's turn it over to, to Daniel for any last thoughts on the regular Pixel after what coming up on just over a day now. Yeah, just over a day. I love the box. Um, I think the box <laughs> is beautiful. No, um, Very. I, I just want you to watch my unboxing. I I think th- Google hit all the right notes. It is going to be a tough road ahead. It really will. The Note 7 debacle is certainly going to help, and we talked about that in last week's podcast, but it's not going to be easy, and it'll be very, very interesting to see how the company's big advertising splash, how its concerted effort to get this not only into the hands of people like us, but into you know normals, quote-unquote, and getting them to use the phone, lots of I'm hearing there's going to be a lot of influencers on social media, you know, with the pixel in hand. And this is just a new way of doing things for Google. They haven't done this uh, that way before with the Nexus products. And I want this to be a success because I want there to be another great competitor in the high-end mobile space. I think it's, it's about time. So from what I've seen so far, they're on a very good path. Mm-hmm. Agree. Andrew? Um, I absolutely, I mean, I absolutely agree with that. It's the best, it's the best phone that Google's ever made. Not even close. It's dramatically better than the Nexus 6P. It feels like a complete product in a way that Nexuses have not felt like complete products because the hardware is excellent. The software clearly leverages the hardware that's inside. And I think the camera is the perfect example of that. Um, and in terms of camera, it's, it's not a drop off from other phones in the way that Nexuses are. So, or have been, um, I've got no problem with this thing. I mean, I, the waterproofing is the one thing you can point out. Sure. Mm-hmm. That it, it doesn't have at the high price point. Um, that's just a bit of insurance. I agree that should be there at this price. And we should say, we should say don't I, be, don't be fooled by IP 53. This is not even slightly water resistant. <laughs> Yes, it, it is not. And so I I have to, beyond that, though, I got no problem with it. I It's an excellent, excellent phone from Google. And I, they absolutely nailed it on their, their first time out with a Pixel phone, which is which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I think this is this is everything that, you know, going back years and years and years, every single year with, with Nexus, it's like, okay, what, what are they going to screw up this time? Because it, it was this, this kind of partnership and almost like this hodgepodge of too many chefs in the kitchen or whatever this is like the the, almost the perfect nexus phone that we wanted all those years ago except now it's just not called nexus and now there's there's a bit of extra google juice in there and i think if you're that person that has been um maybe going from generation to generation you follow the nexus line or you've you've dipped in and out now there is a google phone that is very much in the same vein as those 
but can realistically compete with the GS7s of the world or the uh, the iPhones of the world. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this progresses, not just this year, but uh, next year with uh, surely they're already planning the next generation pixels. Uh, like we say, it's a right. long-term play and it's going to be really interesting to see how, th- how things pan out. And yeah, I mean, if I can just put another additional bow on it really quick, I was talking to Jerry about pricing and things like that. And because he's bought every Nexus phone up to this point, which let's remember a lot of them were also expensive. Um, what's important to, to me is he asked me using the XL, which starts at $770 in the US or some ungodly Canadian dollar amount <laughs> is he asked me, not do I think it's worth the money? He said, do I think it's worth the same amount of money that people are consistently paying for iPhone 7 Pluses, Galaxy S7 Edges, LG V20s, you know, et cetera? And I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, you can disagree that it's worth $770, but you cannot, I mean, you can only disagree that it's worth that much if you also disagree that any phone is worth that much. And so, look, so some people, you may have a, it's a, Go ahead. That's, that's that's an easy argument to make. You look at phones like the OnePlus, uh, the OnePlus Three, and the Honor Eight, and uh, mm-hmm. I think Mister Mobile has a had a video going up a few days from from when this this pop, podcast will be published, looking at the best phones in that category, and it's it's getting harder and harder to justify spending almost double that on a phone, uh, and yet sure. people still do it. And um, if you do, then there are there are some definite benefits there. Yeah, I, I think that if you're willing to justify to yourself that any phone is worth this amount of money. Pixel XL absolutely is. I just have no problem at all saying that. So you can argue that it's not that no phone is worth that amount, but this this one is is worth it just as much as a Galaxy S7 Edge mm-hmm. or an iPhone or whatever. Yep, absolutely. Okay, let's uh, let's put a ball on this. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. Um, Daniel, where can we find you, and where can we find your things and your stuff? Well, my my stuff and things uh, are staying in Canada. Uh, they are unfortunately not traveling far and wide, but nonetheless, they are always on the internet at Android Central on Twitter and Instagram at Journey Dan. And uh, I am so excited about this phone. I haven't been excited about this Android phone since the... Oh, what was that phone that blew up? Oh, I just cannot remember. But uh, thanks for listening. All right, Andrew, who are you and where can we find your things? Uh, stuff and things on Google. Uh, you just search my name and you'll find everything. No, you can you can go to Twitter specifically or Instagram specifically if you want to. After this comes out, you're going to see uh, lots of Instagram photos taken with the the Pixel XL mm-hmm. hashtag no filter though. <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna know that that's what you're getting. Absolutely okay. And you can find me and all my stuff and all my things at Android Central, uh, at Alex Doby on all the things on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Uh, maybe even sometimes on the Google Pluses, though not so much anymore. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to do it. Um, two very impressive phones. Go read our reviews and. Uh, We are out of here. Bye-bye. See ya.